We're so glad that you joined us today for this podcast from Bishop Quentin Moore and the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas. God loves you and wants the best for you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Share your story with us by sending an email to mystory@fathershouse.net. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at fathershouse.net slash give. Just select the option that works for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Hey, uh, it's an honor to preach to you. If you got your Bible this morning, I'm going to read several scriptures uh, at the top. I'm going to read for both Peter and Paul, Ephesians chapter 3, and then I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4. So bear with me as I get started here. We'll talk about We'll talk about what Paul says first. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the reason for prayer. Here's the purpose for it. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. Say it out loud with me. Grant me. How many like to have God grant you something? Grant. Say grant me. That means you don't pay it back. You would grant me according to your riches. I don't know about you, but he ain't figuring out how to put it in a budget. He doesn't have to work it into the budget. You know, I've never gone to God. He said, well, I get that in the budget next year. He, He would grant you according to his, you didn't get it, riches in glory to be strengthened with might. How many of you like to be stronger? You know, I've noticed as this thing has gone on that first of all, there was, you know, the virus, obviously. And then there was this fear that comes. Have you noticed now people are just tired have you just noticed how weary everybody is? I mean, it, it doesn't matter what conversation you're having. There's this thing that just hovers in the background, you know? And, and, and Paul said, I'm praying that you would be stronger. Say stronger. Uh, look at somebody and say, keep praying that for me. I need that. Maybe you don't need it, but I need to be strengthened with might. I need strengthened with might in the inner man. I got to tell you, out here I'm doing okay, but in here, are you having any... Okay, just talking to me. Just on the inside, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Say rooted. Grounded in his love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the depth, the height, and the length of the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled with all fullness. How many like just be full of it? Three of you in the back row are going, what did he say? Say, I want to be filled with that. I want to be filled with that love. I don't want to just know about it. I want to be filled with it. I don't want to just be kind of in love with the idea of love. I want to just know that love to its overflowing capacity. Paul's praying that you would be strengthened with might, and that strength comes from the comprehension of his love. And that not only would you comprehend it, but you'd be just so filled with it, he says, that now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And then go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want you to see what Peter is saying as he writes his letter. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Did you read that? Huh? Nobody wants to talk much about this, but can I tell you that a lot of things we've depended on seem a little insecure right now. A lot of things we've built our lives on right now seem a little shaky. A lot of things we've come to depend on right now seem a little, I'm not even talking about rapture. I'm just talking about how some things outlast their, there's things we've trusted in that don't have any answers. There's things that, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious, sober, and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love one for another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without... Wow, I could preach on without grumbling. I could go to every Christian there is and say, let's talk about that grumbling. Have you heard that rumbling? I mean, we've been singing about the rattling of bones, but I'm telling you, I have trouble hearing the rattling of life because of the rumbling of the grumbling. Father, I pray this morning that just these words from these two apostles would stir in our hearts this morning and cause us to take another step 
forward in becoming more and more like you in this present moment. In Jesus' name, amen. It's dawned on me that we need to talk about this weariness that's in the air. We need to talk about this thing that just kind of keeps hanging in the air, this tiredness that keeps around. And Paul begins to respond to that weariness by saying, I'm praying for you. Have you ever had somebody say, I'm praying for you, and you walk away and went, big deal. I mean, a lot of times people go, well, I don't want to pray for him. I need to no, no, no. Listen, the power of prayer is still the greatest thing there is. Prayer still releases something into the atmosphere of the world that we have underestimated. You don't ever want to think that prayer is the last resort. Prayer is the beginning. Prayer is the way you start. Paul said, I'm praying that you, first of all, your foundations would get stronger. That your roots would get stronger, that you'd be more grounded, that you'd be more firm, more solid, more anchored, more in tune, more gripped, that you'd draw your life from love, that you wouldn't draw anything from it, that you would be rooted and grounded in this love, and that you'd be able to comprehend, say, I want to get it. I want to understand the depth and the width and the height. I want to be able to know that that love is greater than knowledge. I want that fullness that comes from knowing that I'm loved. And then I want it to go beyond anything I can imagine. Can I just say to you that I think the greatest challenge that every human being has is to know they're loved. I think it's hard to overcome human treatment and realize God loves me and that those people that failed to love me have nothing to do with God's love for me. That I've been disappointed by other, some of you have been disappointed by your parents. You've been disappointed by the world. But can I tell you, they are not God. That human love is not God's love and that many of us were, were disappointed and we were looking for it. And when it came to God, we just thought God was some kind of improvement on humanity. And God is not an improvement on humanity. God is completely other than the humanity that you know right now. And to comprehend that God's love is not like human love. Human love always sets expectations. Human love always sets standards that you measure. Human love always has conditions to it. If this, then human love loves you until you disappoint it, and then it stops. And Paul is saying, I want you to comprehend that God is love, and he's not some kind of tweaked human love. He's a completely other kind of love. Something beyond anything you've ever imagined. You see, Adam bought the lie. The lie was, if I could just be better, God would love me more. Adam was like every one of you. He needed God's approval, but he thought, if I had this, if I didn't do that, if I could acquire here, if I could just, then God would, listen, God loves you now as much as he's ever going to love you. He'll never love you less. He'll never love you more because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't care how bad you screw up. He'll never change his mind. I realize I just ripped the rug out of most religion. Greatest challenge in my life is to get up every morning and know he loves me. Greatest challenge in my life. Paul has written to the Corinthians and he says, God's love is large and incredibly patient. God's love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame. Love does, I could preach, love does not traffic in shame or disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter. For it never stops believing the best. Say this with me. Everyone. Say it like you mean it. Everyone is doing their best. Boy, I'm going to get some of you here. President Trump's doing his... How many of you like that one? You ain't going to like this one. Senator Pelosi is doing her best. Love believes everyone is doing their best. Let let me come at you. It believes everyone. Look at the person next to you. He said, I believe you're doing the best you can. I I really believe that. Now now look at yourself and say, I'm doing 
the best I got with what I got. Love never takes defeat as failure. Love never gets up. Love never stops loving. There's faith, hope, and love. Can I tell you, heaven won't need faith. When you get to heaven, you ain't going to have to have faith to see him. You're going to be standing right there. Can I tell you, it ain't going to have faith because it's going to be, we're going to be walking on gold. Good God. Ain't nobody going to be having faith for money. It ain't going to take no hope because it's, it's all there. You're not going to have to get up in the morning in heaven and go, well, I hope I get through this day. But can I tell you what's going to dissipate in heaven? Faith is going to dissipate. Hope's going to dissipate. Love is going to be the greatest. Still going to be there. Love's eternal. The greatest thing there is, is love. Listen, instead of trying to get more faith, just try to recognize you're loved. The more you know, the more you comprehend that you are loved by God, faith is a byproduct of love. Hope is a byproduct of love. Peace is a byproduct of love. They're the fruit. Listen, if you know you're loved, Paul said, I need you to understand that love chose you. Hmm. He chose you. I love what he says to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 7. I didn't choose you because you were the greatest in the world, Israel. I didn't choose you because you were the strongest. I set my love on you because I made a promise to your parents. Listen, and when I choose you, I'm faithful never not to choose you. I didn't make you my people because you had something to offer me because I saw something in you that nobody else had. From the beginning of this book, God chose people, not because they were or they weren't, they could or they couldn't. He chose them because he is love. He chose the weakest, the least, the last, the lowest, the lost, the sinner. When we, he chooses the dust of the earth to make his man. God chooses the worst so that he can show you the best. Listen, you ain't no whiz bang ding thing. I had a friend of mine tell me that once. I chose you because it's my choice. You didn't solicit me. You didn't merit it. It's undeserved. Abraham was barking at moons. David was following sheep. Gideon was getting ready to commit suicide. Who knows where Elijah's been? God's been choosing people not because of who they are or what they can do, but because of his unconditional love. From the old to the new, he's always been true to the reality that I love you. Jeremiah writes, with an eternal love, I have loved you, and I'll draw you with it. Isaiah says, a mother may forget her child, but I'll never forget you. Hosea said, I will betroth you forever. I haven't got time to preach out of Hosea, but listen to me. He married her. She went this way. He still comes back and said, I married you. I mean, Jonah had a problem with the love of God. Like a lot of legalistic people alive today, he had a problem with it. You know, like most preachers that I know, we'd like to choose our audience. Because we're more in love with getting an amen than we are with... Jonah said, I'm not going over there and tell them you love them because they'll believe me and you'll forgive them. And I don't want you to forgive them. I want you to kill them. I don't like the people in Nineveh. I've never liked the people in Nineveh. I don't want to be their friend. And if I go over and tell them that you love them, they will believe it and you'll forgive them. I'm not going to go do it. Sounds like most denominations I know today. We are not going to tell them God loves them because they'll believe God loves them. And if they believe God loves them, we'll have to end segregation and begin to integrate in and include people that we don't like. Don't tell me the Bible's irrelevant to today. I don't like it. Most religious people don't like the fact that God is so forgiving. Most religious people don't want God to be unconditional. Most religious people want you to have to earn it. But see, when God chooses the world, all of a sudden he begins to reveal that he doesn't operate under contractual negotiations. That he doesn't write a contract with loopholes. 
This isn't write contracts that says if and that. See, in a contract, you break it, we're out. See, in a contract, we have all these stipulations and conditions, and we're held together as long as we live up to those stipulations and conditions. But when God chose you, he said, I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. There's nothing you have that I need, so I'm choosing you because I am complete within the totality of who I am. So now I can make a covenant with you, and even when you don't live up to the promise, I'll die because you don't live up because I'm never going to stop loving you. See, this wasn't a charismatic New Testament thing. This was God from the beginning say, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And when you fail the covenant, watch this. I'll show up and I'll pay the price that you. Oh, isn't there a Christian in here that understands the cross? That the cross is all about him taking your place because you didn't live up to it, but he knew you couldn't live up to it. And so now he'll prove to you that you never had to live up to anything that he was going to. See, we're living in a culture that wants to hold everybody together by a contract. We're living in a culture that is all based on contractual realities. If you do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, I won't do this. And we'll, get a, we'll go to the courthouse and we're married. We'll go to the courthouse and we're not. You be my friend, I'll be your friend until you make me mad, then I won't. See, we have to understand that when God chooses sinners... Then he's saying, he already knew what he was getting, honey. (laughs) Have you ever looked in the mirror and got, did you know when you, I've often wondered, did you understand? See, the Bible says in Psalm 15 that God swears to his own hurt, his own death. He swears by himself, not by you. And he doesn't change. He said, I chose you, and if it costs me everything I have, I'll still choose you. Even when you reject me, I'll still choose you. Even when you lift me up and kill me, I'll still choose you. Even when you murder me, I'll still choose you. Even when you leave and demand your inheritance early, I'll still choose you. That's what it means to have a covenant. That's what it means. See, when you understand the covenant, all of a sudden the language changes. You start talking differently. Now you got to talk about a friendship that sicketh closer than a brother. Now you got to talk about remembering, reliving, being one, celebrating. Now you got to talk about this word, chasid. Chasid, loving kindness. A mercy that triumphs over judgment. A mercy that endureth forever. Hasid. The God's loving kindness never turns his back. Never says, I'm done with you. Never says, that's too far. Never frowns at you. That God is loving kindness. Hasid. He doesn't have it. He is it. That he'll never act outside of who he is. That if he ever acted outside of who he is, he would cease to be who he is. This loving kindness, this mercy that endures forever, this love, this agape that never fails, that allows you to kill him and still love you. It's hard to comprehend. I pray that you would comprehend this, that it wouldn't skim over the surface of your head and you go, yeah, I got that. Your language sniffs you out. Because we get caught up in the culture of contractual language. We get caught up in comparison and contrasting. We get caught up in the criticism and the grumblings. We get caught up in the discussions about our rights. And see, covenants have no rights. Covenants die for the rights of others. Covenants surrender the argument and say, you be right. See, uh, The basis of Christianity has to be able to come back and understand that God so loved the world that he gave himself. That he chooses us to the point that he gives so generously that there's no way to ignore. That he comes into the midst of our world and this word becoming flesh, this Jesus becomes the visible image of the invisible declaration. And that we, we see Jesus coming and choosing us. 
For I chose you and I appointed you that you would bear fruit, fruit that would remain, and that whatever you ask me, I'll give you. That Jesus comes among us and he chooses the sinners. He chooses Gentiles. He chooses people of just really shady character. In fact, his closest followers are a bunch of losers. Just losers. Have you, have you ever paid attention? I wouldn't hire them to... But they, they, I mean, you, you got a love-struck John and a stupid apostle who's going to be the first pope. I, I mean, no wonder it's messed up. You got Thomas that doubts everything. You got Judas that can't keep his hands off the money. You got Matthew who was a tax collector who thinks he knows. I mean, let's understand the reality of why we're here this morning. We're not here to get tickled. We're not here. We're here to in some way acknowledge that we are all beginners. We're here to somehow acknowledge that we're tired, that we don't have the strength within ourselves to even love our neighbor. We don't have the strength within ourselves to even come close, that all of us this week have messed up beyond any kind of comprehension. That no one in here can ring their bell and see how I did this week, because we all were afraid this week. We were all irritated about something this week. Listen, if you were like me, there was at least once I wanted to go back to bed. <laughs> Cover my head up and go, make the world go away. <laughs> Get it off of my... No, some of you are going, what? <laughs> yeah, Lawrence Welk. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I mean... He chases us. And have you noticed that when love gets in the face of a pharisaical, legalistic, empowered culture, that they want to have conversations about, well, if an ox falls into a pit, and it happens to be a Sabbath, can a man go down into the pit and get his ox on a Sabbath? See, they kept trying to engage Jesus on illegal grounds. They kept asking, if a woman is caught in the act of adultery, should we stone her? I mean, see, Jesus, they, they just kept baiting him. They kept holding up the word, which is so interesting. I love what John says. And the word became... And so they baited the word with the word. Have you ever had anybody use your words against you? Well, you said. I mean, come on. The worst arguments I've ever been in is when someone goes, well, now you said. You used that word. Every time I hear some that from somebody, I want to say, you don't know me. You've taken something out of context. You've twisted it around. You've got to take what I'm tired of. I'm tired that you can't trust what anything. I'm tired of trying to figure out what your agenda is. I'm tired of figuring out what kind of angle you're working. Oh, you didn't. You see, can I tell you the most scared people in the world? They're people that have power. Because if people have power, they're afraid of losing it. So they'll say anything they want to say. They'll trample anybody they can trample because all they care about is holding on to. Should we stone her? He just never. Have you ever noticed that? That, that religious empowered people are always trying to draw Jesus into a microscopic debate about, is it right? Or is it wrong? You think they're going to heaven? You think they're going to hell? I mean, always. Should we pay taxes? Should we not pay taxes? And Jesus says, uh, I ain't talking about the law. I'm just going to tell you about love. 
I'm just going to tell you it's the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. I'm not going to get into you into a debate about the contractual reality that you think is important. I'm not going there with you. I'm not going to have that conversation with you. Well, did you come to, you just don't, you, you are you saying the law doesn't matter? Because no, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to fulfill the law in such a way that your argument will be shut up until about 2020. Actually, until about 1749, sinners in the hand of an angry God. Until about the mid-17th century. And then we came on the scene and decided the only way to get people saved is to scare them to death. So we started preaching. That, that's relatively a new message. He said, when I fulfill the law, it, uh, you're going to need somebody to pray that you understand. You're going to need someone to pray that you comprehend it because it's going to be so far above anything you've ever imagined. You're going to have trouble understanding how I can trump the law. How I can take my law and fulfill it, reach around it, and save you anyway. It's going to be the big, it ain't going to have nothing to do with you. I'm going to put you to sleep, Abraham. I'm going to make my covenant. I'm going to, I'm going to let you fall asleep, and I'm going to sneak around. And before you know it, you're going to be free at last. Free at last. They wanted to argue about stuff that he wouldn't enter into. In fact, he'd tell a story about a stupid son who demanded his inheritance went off with his inheritance. And he tells the story about how the father just anxiously awaits his return. Not to scold him, but to throw a party. Not, 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 not to hold him accountable, but to give him another account. This is unbelievable. I mean, right? I mean, when my puppy doesn't come when I call, I put her in a cage. You'll get it in a minute. I got up this morning with my cup of coffee. I'm in my pajamas. I let Charlie out. Charlie doesn't come back. Thank God I don't live in town. Put my coffee down, took my leash, took that dog, went and got Charlie, brought Charlie back, put her in the cage. Stay there, you silly mutt. And I heard the Lord say, aren't you glad I'm not like you? I went and got a treat, went and let Charlie out, gave Charlie a treat, <laughs> refreshed my coffee, sat down. Thank God I'm not a dog. I mean, he tells this story about the wayward son and then the son coming home, and you see this father. Well, but at least the boy was related, right? At least, okay, I, you get that. I mean, they're family. You let family get away with Right? Family can get it. They, they can just hit you in the mouth and you, right? It's family. That's family. But then there's that story in there about how he goes through Samaria. Listen, Samaritans are not family. They, if you're a good Jew, you walk seven days to get a right. You ain't going there. You're avoiding them people like the plague. They're, they are less than, they're worse than. We'll walk seven days when we could have just gone. How many of you walking around something that you need to go through? How many of you avoiding something? Oh, well. It's kind of hard to avoid stuff right now, right? I mean, it, it really is hard to get away from it all because when you get away from it all, it's still there. I mean, it's everywhere, right? And so the Bible says you must go through. You had to. That Samaria. I would say it. That area. That, that some area of my life that I've got to go. What area of your life is Jesus going to. How many of you know he's picking on you right now? How many of you know that there's this thing going on and he just keeps putting his finger on that area of your life? Have you ever noticed, are you noticing that? God just keeps ticking that area that irritates you. He's got, got to go to that area. Do you have to bring that up again? Uh, nobody else in the room going to be honest. You're going to sit there like a bunch of liars. That's the area he's going to go to. 
He goes to that place, that place in our lives, and he challenges our certainty. He challenges our preconceived ideas. He goes to that place, that area that we need to process. It's not in my notes, but when I was preaching in first service, I learned something. The guy was doing really good. You didn't hear that. Sometimes I learn from myself. Now, it's not really me. But I hear my voice and think, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm just talking to you, and all of a sudden, something comes out of my mouth, and I go, well, where did that come? Didn't Okay. And now Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, therefore, being wearied. How does God... Doesn't that strike you as odd? God is weary? I I don't get it. Because when I go over to Isaiah chapter 40, and, and I start... Have you not heard, have you not known that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? Well, now, if, you never, if he never faints and never grows weary, in fact, I could keep reading there. Why is it that Jesus is weary? Because he's with you. Because he's human. Because he feels what you feel. He's going through what you're going through. He doesn't just come to intersect your life. He comes to become your life. He comes to sit in your seat, walk in your shoes, feel what you feel. He comes to participate in your humanness so that he can bring you into his divinity. He comes to feel what you feel. If you're weary... He's weary. If he's exhausted, if he's fed up, are are you getting any of this? What do I do when I'm tired and fatigued? Well, I know he's sitting right there in that spot with me, Rebecca. I don't even have to tell him how I feel. He already knows how I feel. He's feeling it with me. He's feeling our frustration. Can I tell you, he, he feels this. He's going to become sin that we could become. Oh, for me, maybe that doesn't help you, but for me to know that he knows how scared I was this week, that he knows how anxious I was this week, that he knows, oh, some of you are going, oh, I'm not anxious. He's coming to that. Just hang in here because this is going to go on a while and he's going to come to that arrogance. That's arrogance. That's not faith. That's an arrogance. He's coming to that. Because I got to admit, there's moments I get up and I'm still scared. I'm still worried. I've been concerned for you. Maybe you don't get it, but I, 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 I lay awake at nights and I'm concerned. Because I know some of you are going to work and it's... Some of you live in, 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 in long-term care facilities and that doesn't sound good. I have friends that work in meatpacking plants. That doesn't sound cool right now. This is real. There was this woman in Samaria and she was in trouble. And he went there. He's here. My friends, he's with us in 2020. He's right. He knows how crappy this feels. And he's tired of it too. He comes into the middle of where we're at. He comes into the middle of our sin. He comes to that place where it is us that are guilty. He comes in the middle of our guilt and takes us out of the electric chair and he takes our place. He gets up off the table where they're going to inject. If you're going to be pro-life, you better be pro-life. He takes our place on a cross. He feels our death. He feels our sin. He's innocent, spotless, 
shameless, perfect. But because he chose us, because he loves us, while we nail him to a cross, he said, I still love you. While we're tired and we go, I'm tired. He goes, I feel it, but I'm your strength. This is the gospel. In the midst of a culture that is screwing with our gospel, we got to take it back. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm weak. I'm guilty of sin. But he came to me. He came to my failure. He came to my... And he said, Father, forgive. This is incomprehensible. This is beyond my pay grade. This is I don't know. This is I, I can't argue this. I just know him. His sacrifice, his suffering, his shame, his surrender, his mercy, his loving kindness that took my weariness and my sin and the mercy that endureth forever. The mercy that triumphs over judgment. His loving kindness <laughs> saved me from sin. And it's going to save me from this weariness that's within. This weariness. I'm praying that you be strengthened in the inner man. That you might be rooted and grounded in the reality of the love of the Father. That you'd be able to comprehend the width, the depth, and the height. That you might be filled with the fullness. Listen, this love's for you. Oh, you didn't get it. Some of you have never done anything. <sighs> you get it. <laughs> this love's for you, right? <sighs> how, how? There's a virus. There's a challenge. There's this. I am so tired of other people's agenda attempting to take control of my life. I'm tired of people spinning this and spinning that, trying to angle this and trying to move this to get me to take their agenda. Because their ideology of how the world ought to be. Listen, I already have an agenda. I already have one. It's to love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. That's my agenda, and I refuse to sell out. All men are liars. Listen, they're twisting this, and they're twisting that. You need to step up out of that. She didn't get it at first. He said, if you knew. Oh, this is such a great line. Honey, while you're arguing about how we worship, where we worship, if you just knew who I was. And if you knew what I'm trying to give to you, you'd ask of me. I've chose you so you can ask of me. I've come here to this place Come into your weariness so that you can ask me to reveal my love to you. I've let you be weary so that you can ask of me. Oh, my God. You mean I might be in this mess so that I could learn more about? You mean he didn't make the mess, but honey, in the middle of the mess, he'll reveal his message. I love you. Today is the greatest thing in the world. And I'm gonna, I'm, my human experience is not even as great as your spiritual one that's coming. You see, I hung on the cross that you can see I'm with you, but I'm gonna go away because I'm gonna send my spirit. You know, it's hard to argue with yourself. Have you ever done something and on the inside you felt crummy? You ever, you ever said something and as it came out your mouth, you were going, Ugh. I'm going to send my spirit into your heart. He's going to convict you. 
We don't like conviction. We don't like it. In fact, we get angry about it. You know, most people, when they get angry at you, they're angry at themselves. I'm going to send my spirit into your heart and shed my love abroad in your heart. Can I tell you, the only way to know the love of God is not through the head, but through the heart. The only way to know the love of God is through an experience with the spirit of God that comes and transcends and bypasses the dragons in your mind, grabs your heart, and you just kind of know down in your knower, thank you, Grandma. You just kind of know down in there somewhere, God loves me. He's for me. It's not against me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And if I'm in a mess, he's in a mess with me. So it's not my mess. It's his mess. And I just know. How do you know? Because there's his voice on the inside that says, I love you. In spite of what religion says, in spite of what cultures say, it's there. And I feel him. Paul said, I didn't get this from a man. I got this from a revelation. There was this prophetic thing. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, but the spirit of God has made known to me that I'm loved. See, I'm praying for you to have a prophetic experience of the love of God. I'm praying. Years ago, I thought I was battling insomnia, only to discover it was God. What? Huh? Left turn. Where'd he go? I, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd think, oh my God, what's wrong? And then I read the Bible. It's interesting, the answers you get when you just read a book. It's just interesting how much your faith will change if you just take the time to read this and turn Lester off. Oh, well, that didn't. There's this great story in the Old Testament, the Old Testament. It's a story of Hannah. Anybody remember Hannah? I, I'm going to start a new uh, podcast. I've bought a flannel board that's the size of that painting thing I do. And I'm going to start a podcast with flannel boards. Because I need to bring you up to speed. And so I'm going to broadcast it on Wednesday nights for the children. She didn't get it. <laughs> Hannah. She's the second wife. He has two wives. And this one hasn't got any children. And she's depressed. And they go up to the temple to pray. And she's crying. And Eli, the evil priest, says, what's your problem? She said, I'm barren. He goes, God will answer you. And she got pregnant. And the first of six children's name was Samuel. Samuel, the first great prophet of the Old Testament. Samuel. Up until this moment, we've had judges. Right, wrong, out, in, up, down, dead, life. But now, the first prophet, Kent, Samuel. And we're going to leave judgment. See, some of you think prophets are judges. No, 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 no. There, there were judges. And then these prophets came. Judges didn't hear the voice of God. Judges lived based on dividing this. Prophets started hearing God's voice. Samuel, the prophet, he would anoint the king of the kingdom. Samuel would anoint, he didn't. Without a prophetic presence, there's no anointing of a kingdom. Okay, another sermon. So she raises Samuel till he's about three. She makes him a little ephod, a little priest outfit with a collar. <laughs> Clip on. And at three, she takes him to the temple and she says, okay, I consecrated him to you. He's yours. And every year she'd make him a new little ephod, new collar. Till he's about nine. At about nine, eight or nine, he's laying on his bed in the middle of the night and he hears his name, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up and he runs into the Eli, the priest, and he goes, yes, 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 yes. And the 
priest goes, I didn't say anything. Goes back and lays back down. Samuel. Samuel. Gets up and the old priest finally gets it and says, son, I think God's talking to you. Your servant hears, Lord. Speak. We need some Samuels. We need some Samuels. We need some people to hear what thus saith the Lord. We need to have some Samuels that understand that God doesn't turn his back on his people. He just calls a prophet. I'm telling you, there's a prophetic word coming up out of the church that's going to turn the church away from her factuation with the culture of this moment and call her back to a communion with God that's based on his love. Because can I tell you, the church has become so intoxicated with the arguments of the culture that she's forgotten her first love. Some of you need to listen to me. I don't care. I can hear his voice. I love what what the Lord says to Samuel. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm going to do something. They do something. I mean, every prophetic word I've ever heard from God, he said, son, I'm about to do something. I can hear the spirit of God on the inside going, I'm doing, I'm up. You might be weary and tired, but Q, I'm up to something. You might be tired and weary and frustrated, but I'm up to something, Samuel. You may be a child of the faith and nobody, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, but I'm up to something. At which both ears of everyone, say both ears. Both ears, not just one. Both ears of everyone who hear it it's going to tingle. It's going to be shocking, one translation says. It's going to shock the church when the Spirit of God rises up and says, yeah, I love them too. And I love them. And I love them. And I love them. And I love them. And while you've been divided and grumbling, I'm bringing all of it together. Notice how quiet it gets. It's going to shock you. But this is a prophetic reality. Everything in my life, every step I've got to this moment is a result of God having spoken to me. Man, I can remember. Terry, I can remember where I was sitting. I remember the little shotgun house Annie and I were living in. And I'm sitting there and I'm reading my Bible. I ain't telling you what else I was doing. I was reading my Bible. And this was, he, he said, I love you. I love you. God is my witness, Kent. I didn't know that. I'd read it. I, I was holding a couple things in my hand, Rebecca. And the Lord said, one of these has to go. You have put one of these down. One of them was my Bible. I love you. Now you got to put one of these down. I, I, I remember laying on the floor crying. And the Lord said, I want you. I, I remember him saying, I've chosen you. And appointed you. I remember him saying, prepare the way. I want in. I want to make a difference. Let my spirit in. I'm suggesting to you this morning that you you need to turn off. Listen, there's a lot of stuff. God wants to speak to you about you. In the midst of your weariness, in the midst of your tired, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a political mess, he wants to speak to you. And he'll speak to you out of this. He'll always come out of this. 
there's a prophetic generation emerging. And, 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 and it's coming out of prayer. Father, grant unto them that they would comprehend the love of God. Help them to understand that above all things, they need to love one another. For love covers a multitude of sin. Help them to understand a language that's not of this world. You're my friend. You remember? Loving kindness. The answer to this moment is in the way we love each other. The world will know I am who I am because you love one another. How do people comprehend unless you love one another? I am so tired of trying to be controlled by other people's agenda. I already have an agenda. It's to love God and love you. That's it. Yeah, but pastor, in the real world, I am in the real world. It's just not the one you think's real. This world I'm talking about is more real than the one you're sitting in. This kingdom I'm describing is the kingdom of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Father's House. We hope you stay connected by following us online at fathershouse.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at TFH Hutch.